one thing that is a, an everlasting constant is Brexit. Negotiators vowing to stand firm, the UK ones, in the latest round of trade talks. They start in Brussels this week. Sources say this team aren't going to accept any deal that requires alignment with EU rules. And that includes fishing rights. So that gives us some idea as to how they're going to approach this latest round. Pretty similar to the last lot by the sounds of it. Uh, but meanwhile, the EU is warned about banks, British banks, and possible delays with access to the whole of the bloc's financial markets. This is coming from a Financial Times report, which cites Valdis Dombrovskis, who's the European Commission's Executive Vice President for Economic Policy. It says that UK firms might have to wait even after the transition period for this pan-EU access right because of the bloc's own regulations, which are in flux. So it's sort of unrelated to Brexit in a sense, but it gives you an idea of, of the bigger rift between the UK and the EU and obviously that has a huge impact of the sit on the city if they have to wait for these sorts of rights. Well let's bring in uh, Tim Bale, Professor of Politics at Queen Mary University and Deputy Director of the UK in A Changing Europe. Often our guide, Tim, of course, in these sort of areas. So walk us through it. Now two months ago Boris Johnson said they're going to put a tiger in the tank to revitalise Brexit talks. Um, are these revitalised talks would you say? Not really. Um, we've already seen some of the deadlines uh, that they set for themselves earlier on uh, get missed. So they're almost running to catch up now. There's no sense in which they kind of accelerated things. And, uh, you know, there's now a little bit more time to do stuff. Actually, uh, to be honest, uh, the time's getting tighter and tighter as things go on. Uh, so, I mean, Tim, how much of this is to do with coronavirus? I feel like that's an excuse for a lot of things. And sometimes it's valid. Sometimes maybe it's not. Well, I mean, I think clearly the fact that negotiators haven't um, been able to meet as much as they would have hoped to in normal times face to face has made a difference. But I think, to be honest, the delay in the talks is more to do with the fact that the two sides simply can't agree on some very, very important issues. You already put your finger on um, a couple of them. Um, the most obvious ones are fishing, which may seem a little ridiculous given the uh, contribution to uh, the bloc's GDP and the UK's GDP of that particular industry. Uh, but symbolically, it's very important. And then, of course, there is this issue of the level playing field um, to which the UK, as far as the EU are concerned, had kind of signed up to, but which now the UK is objecting to, suggesting that it can't as an independent country, be held to the kind of standards on labour and the environment, etc., uh, that EU member states are themselves held to. So it's those two things in particular, I think, that are uh, holding up talks. Uh, and also possibly the belief, I suspect mistaken on the part of the UK, that somehow uh, everything will always get settled at the last minute uh, in these negotiations and they have to go to the wire in order for... Uh, both sides to make the compromises that they need to make. Well, let's let's dig into that because that is a very interesting point. Because you constantly hear the refrain, "Oh, it'll you know this is the way the EU works." They always pull something out of the uh, bottom drawer at the very last minute. But do you get a sense, Tim, on either side that there is a real wish or even desire to get a deal? I mean, are both sides perhaps relaxed about not getting a deal? I don't think that is the case, actually. I and I, I I'm sure that rationally it makes sense for both sides 
for there to be a deal. I mean, whether, of course, rationality enters into Brexit is a question that we could spend hours debating. But if you look at it from the point of view both of the UK and the EU, it makes far more sense for some kind of deal to be done rather than the kind of disruptive outcome that would occur if no free trade deal of any kind occurs before uh, the end of the year. I, I still get the feeling that ultimately there will be some kind of deal there simply because the consequences of not doing one, particularly on top of COVID-19, particularly indeed for the UK government, are so serious that, that I think it, it just doesn't make any rational political sense or even the electoral political sense for uh, the, the government of this country anyway to, to leave without one. So, I mean, what are they waiting for then? If we don't think that either side really wants a no deal or could handle a no deal and the there's nothing they can agree on at the moment, but they're not going to go down to the wire, what lies ahead for the next few months? Well, uh, I mean, what they can do, of course, there are all sorts of other bits and pieces apart from those two things which they can try and work on as, as they go. Um, but, I, I mean, I, I still think there is this, um, a perception on the part of the UK government that it's not until, you know, 11.59 that uh, the the EU will make any concessions. I, I'm, I'm predicting, anyway, that the UK in the end will fold somewhat on, um, on level playing field. I, I just don't think that the EU is going to give as much as the UK want on that. I think the EU has already given something on dispute resolution. So the UK was very concerned about having to accept rulings of the European Court of Justice on, on any kind of dispute resolution uh, procedure. The, the, the EU's already given way, I think, on that. Uh, so I think the UK is going to have to give way in, in some senses on signing up to Labour standards. Now, whether they do that through some kind of promise, and it will have to be some kind of binding promise, and that's probably the issue on non-regression. In other words, you know, we'll keep up with you and we won't go backwards. Uh, or whether there will be some other way of doing it, who knows. But it, it just doesn't really, I think, make any sense for the UK to, to leave without any kind of uh, deal at all. And to be honest, I think the UK's insistence that somehow it must be treated like any other country, Canada is always the one that's uh, quoted by uh, UK ministers, is... Um, you know, it is it, unconvincing in the sense that the UK is clearly on the EU's doorstep. It has uh, an economy which is much more integrated into the EU. And clearly it would be in a position to, as the EU see it, unfairly undercut uh, EU producers were it to be allowed to um, move away from some of those standards. So I, I think the UK is just going to have to accept reality. And we do, of course, have the precedent of the withdrawal agreement when Boris Johnson, at the last minute, essentially uh, surrendered and gave in to um, people who said that the, uh, the um, border would have to be drawn down the Irish Sea rather than across the uh, island of Ireland. Uh, and he was able to spin that surrender as some kind of victory. And I'm sure that Boris Johnson is still capable of doing that. Tim, very briefly, and just as a as a kind of pinning you down a bit, which is deeply unfair, you think we'll enter 2021 with something agreed between the EU and the UK that amounts to a deal? Yes, I do. I mean, I still think that it makes rational sense for the two sides to uh, to do a deal rather than not do a deal of course as i say rationality doesn't always play its part in brexit but i think the stakes are so high for the uk in particular that we will probably get some kind of deal 
Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.